How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, we got former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman RJ Hollis. And fellas, the old saying goes, the games in November are the ones you remember. And for the Rainbow Warriors, they're going to want to forget this one. At Fresno State against the arch rival Bulldogs, devastating and dominant loss 55 to 13 as the Bows fall to two and eight on the season one and four in the Mountain West Conference and obviously as always there's a lot to talk about from this game regarding the offense defense special teams everything in between and of course moving forward for this Rainbow Warrior program that continues to suffer growing pains but we'll get to that in just a moment first let's hear from one of the rainbow warriors following that game this was tamatoa mokiao atimalala and what he had to say in the locker room following that 55 to 13 loss to fresno state at the end of the day this is what we signed up for so we just got to keep making plays guys got to step up whatever happened tonight you know we just we just have to move forward and just keep pushing we still got three more games left Coach Chang tells us every single time, boys, it's going to be okay. Keep pushing, keep playing, and, you know, just to know that they went through this. He tells us the stories of them going three and nine, and then look at his career, you know what I mean? So he's just from a perspective that he's been through, just in our shoes, exactly in our shoes, actually, playing for UH, and just hearing it from him, he's a great person, great coach, and... This is what we're doing it for, for the guys beside us. The whole state of Hawaii just continue to just fight no matter what. Again, that was Rainbow Warrior wide receiver Tamatoa Mokiao Atimalala, the Campbell graduate, three catches, 27 yards, and the first touchdown catch of his collegiate career. But again, it came in a 55-13 to loss at Fresno State for the Rainbow Warriors. And before we delve deeper into this one, I want to give you guys an opportunity to just give us your first reaction of this latest Rainbow Warrior defeat. You saw three previous Mountain West Conference losses here since the start of conference play, all decided within one possession in regards to those losses. This was the first time that we've seen this UH football team blown out in the Mountain West Conference. It was against a 4-1 and Fresno State team, but Rich... Your biggest takeaway from this game as UH now uh, can see the finish line of this season. No bowl game guaranteed with this eighth loss of the season. No winning season. Uh, This is a team that uh, all of their preseason goals and wishes uh, have all been eliminated to this point. Yeah, Rob, uh, again, this one is kind of reminiscent of maybe Vanderbilt, uh, New Mexico State, University, uh, the Western Kentucky game, it's uh, kind of when all three phases to me did not play well. You know, usually we're talking offense, defense, special teams, that muff kickoff is kind of uh, indicative of this whole football team in terms of if you muff a kickoff and it rolls into the end zone, you can still down it and the ball comes out to the 25 yard line. So is that coaching? Is that players making mistakes? Is that, uh, you know, and then you just watch how, I think offensively and defensively, it was demoralizing in terms of they had better athletes. They won the line of scrimmage. Uh, We got out coached and it was just a tough three and a half hours to watch. And I'm sure it was a long plane ride home. 
RJ Hollis, your thoughts, uh, as I brought up, this was a team that, especially with how conference play started, uh, even though the overall record looked like what it did, based on how they were playing, there was a thought that, hey, they can make a run. This final year of the West Division uh, of divisions here in the Mountain West is that, hey, you just got to finish number one in the West Division. If you knock off some of these teams, Fresno State probably being the toughest team that you were going to face throughout that entire time. So that obviously um, means that those previous games became that much more important before you took on Fresno State. But with that being said, there was a belief that, hey, you can compete with these teams after a loss like this, uh, how does that change the perspective? What, what was your thought when that game ended? Uh, I think it's, you know, a lot like you alluded to. There were, you know, some preseason goals that I'm sure they had. And a lot of times we talk about the co the coin toss games, the, the close games. All of the last three losses that UH got in conference, they lost by one possession or less. So it is obvious that you can compete with them. And then Fresno State is the type of loss that can demoralize you, especially when you don't win those close games. So for me, it was just more of an emphasis as to what should have been done the past three out of four games where you won one, but you lost three by one possession. If UH has five games and this happens, you can just consider it a bump in the road. You can't go to the Mount West Championship, but you can still compete for a bowl game. Stuff like that always matters in the grand scheme of a whole season. So I think the biggest concern is just when you let those games slide and then you run into a game like Fresno State where you're outscored 31 to zero at half, that compounds to all the, you know, shots in the foot that are already coming to the team. So I think for me, it kind of reiterates the importance of every game matters, especially in college football. No preseason, none of that. So having those five wins coming into this game would have made it much more easier to swallow. But being that UH only had two wins coming into this game, one conference win, I think that just made it that much harder to watch and that much more of a gut punch to this year's uh, inaugural season for the brotherhood. Yeah. You talk about those coin toss games, meaning those games that are decided late and, and who comes down uh, with the final possession, are they able to score? But you know, when it, when it rains, it pours because in regards to actual coin tosses, the university of Hawaii has lost seven straight coin tosses to start the game. So that just tells you that things just not going well for this UH football program. I need to right call now. it something different. I got to call yeah. it something different then. I got to yeah. change it from coin toss. <laughs> yeah, UH has been struggling in the coin toss games and struggling in the actual coin toss as well. Well, this Fresno State game, uh, obviously Bulldogs win 55-13. to 13. Jake Hayner, the Bulldog quarterback who entered this game 0-2 against the University of Hawaii in his career, had a phenomenal game. 24 of 29, 327 yards passing, four touchdowns. The Bulldogs rush for 245 yards with two scores, with uh, the main culprit being Jordan Mims, who went for 123 yards on 18 carries and also had a touchdown. When you look at this University of Hawaii defense and what the Fresno State offense was able to take advantage of, Rich, what really jumped out to you as far as where the Rainbow Warriors struggled the most in trying to slow down a team? that on paper with the eyeball test, as you watch on the football field, was bigger, faster, stronger, more skilled. Yeah, you're right, Rob. By ending off on that note, Fresno 
has the best group of skilled athletes in the Mountain West Conference, especially the West Division, right? Hayner has the most command of the, uh, the offense out of any quarterback, I think, in, the, in this conference. Uh, but Hawaii has no pass rush, and they haven't had one since probably uh, my man Famili Lati uh, K.K. Padello. Um, and then, you know, the no pass rush is kind of compounded when Blessman and JT can't really get that inside push and they don't win the line of scrimmage in terms of in, in the running game, right? So if that doesn't happen, your linebackers aren't able to flow downhill aggressively. The safeties aren't able to fit aggressively and also read and react, uh, what, what believe what they see. So, you know, this has been a defense that when you win up front, it's so much easier to play in the back end, right? And we look back, and when you look at the, this group of safeties, the third level, Peter Manuma, as well as Mekki Pei, had something going on. But that also was because the front seven was winning. When the front seven doesn't win, it makes those jobs back there much harder, whether you quarterback can look you off, whether a quarterback can go through his whole progression, whether a running back has bigger holes, and now it's a two-way go and an open field tackle. But, um, yeah, they got – taken advantage, Rob, because they had eight players, I think, on defense that left in the transfer portal. You got Fresno State with loaded wide receiver, running back, quarterback, pretty good offensive line, and it was just a talent disparity. RJ, when, when you look at, at what happened defensively, Rich makes great points as far as what he saw there out in that game. You know, there's always the question, people want to know what could have been done, right? What, what, what could have been done to prevent this from happening uh, when Fresno State runs up and down the field here against the Rainbow Warriors. Was there anything that jumped out to you that that you saw that, you know, this could have been prevented, uh, you know, as far as uh, defensively, how could UH have slowed this down? Or is it just one of those things that, hey, people hate to admit it, but sometimes you just have to take a step back and be like, that was just a better football team. Uh, yeah, a little bit of both. I think uh, Fresno State did a great job of taking advantage of some inexperiences, some younger defensive guys uh, running a lot of motions, coming out in a lot of different formations. And, you know, like Rich said, that's one of the better skill positions. And Jake Hayner is one of the more experienced and coveted uh, quarterbacks of the Mountain West Conference. But I, I truly think that they were just outgunned, outmanned. Uh, you lose Mateo Soli early in the season, who would have been a nice, you know, anchor for this team, somebody that they needed. But then more than that, you lose all the guys that you lost last year. You know, Jonah La'ulu, Justice Tavai, Darius Mulsau, Corey Bethley. This is a game where guys like that, you know, may not have spun it all the way around to a victory, but that experience... <laughs> More so just for themselves, but what they can help these young guys see. You know, a lot of times the experience isn't out there just being good for themselves. A good middle linebacker or safety can tell a defensive lineman when he's out of alignment, can tell, you know, another linebacker that's younger what to watch for because they've been there and they've done that. You know, you lose Isaiah Tufunga, another experienced defender who's not out there to play. So I think the lack of experience on the defense, along with just, you know, Fresno State having the big guns, I think that was kind of the mix that made it really get out of control because sometimes it's just the doubles that make it worse than what it is it wasn't purely inexperienced and it wasn't purely Fresno State just having that much better players but I think when you put it together and that offensive coordinator saw what he could do and even an experienced QB like Jake Hayner saw what he could do that's what had them taking advantage of UH in the uh fashion that they were able to you know there's something you said uh in that RJ that made me think of 
we got a lot of comments and questions in the Bose football final mailbox. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But as always, there's some questions that we're not able to get to because of just time constraints. And so there's a question that was in there um, pretty much saying that he doesn't understand why there's so much talk about this being a young football team and an inexperienced football team when he looks at the roster and he sees so many seniors. And so, Rich, can you explain uh, just, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, when it comes to college football of you could have you know, 30 seniors on your team, but if there are players like Leonard Lee, um, like a Jonah Kahahavai Welch, right, that, that are seeing a lot of time that haven't seen time before, there's no difference between a senior and a freshman at that point. Uh, playing time and being able to experience these things on the football field uh, are the most important aspect of it. And that's what makes this a young football team, correct? Yeah, what makes this a young football team? And RJ kind of alluded to that. I, he, he left out Cameron Lockridge, who had a pick six, who was one of the best boundary corners Hawaii's maybe had in the last 10 years. And then you have Darius Moose, how was going to play in the National Football League. And Jonah Laulu, who's at Oklahoma. And Justice Tavai, who's at San Diego State. And, you know, you keep throwing those names out there. And you got a real defense in the Mountain West Conference. You may have the most talented defense. But when eight or nine, and I'm, I'm getting uh, mixed up on my numbers exactly, when those guys leave, it doesn't matter that you're a senior because most likely you haven't played a lot in your past three or four years because you weren't talented enough to break the lineup. And all of a sudden you're thrust into a starting role. You, you know, these guys are doing the best they can, Robin. It's not their fault once again. This does not lay to me defensively, does not lie on the uh, shoulders of the coaching staff or the inexperienced players, even though they're seniors, because they're probably a lot of them were walk-ons. A lot of them were three-star, four-star, five-star. They've been thrust into action because eight-elevenths of this team decided to go play defense somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's it's understood, and, uh, and you could get where fans come from, where they're tired of hearing about the players that are, aren't on this football team, right? From from their perspective, it's, well, who is on this football team and how do these guys win football games, right? Um, but in the reality of things is that, Rich, you made a comment uh, very early, and this might have been episode number one of Bo's football final this season, where, you know, you, you hate to compare these two things because obviously they're very different things. But, I mean, you got to look at the Marshall plane crash, the SMU death penalty as far as, that much starting talent leaving a football program. And, and obviously there's a lot of programs that lose a bunch of starters, right? But when that happens, it's because they have played their way out of eligibility, which means that they are seniors, they're moving on, which means that the juniors and the sophomores under them were the second and third stringers. And then that, that machine continues, the gear moves, but a new gear is put in and the machine continues. When what happened happened, is that these guys all left the program with eligibility, so the next wave of players behind them weren't the players anticipated to be the next starters the next season, right? And so yeah. that changes things. Yeah, Rob, and let me add this, too, to people that actually understand football, is when Jay Norville left uh, Nevada, well, it was pretty evident how poorly they're 0-5 in conference, and they're terrible. Well, by the time Timmy Chang was named the new head coach, it ain't like he brought in 15 guys from Nevada with him because it was too late. Whereas 
Jay Norvell actually brought a whole bunch of the good players to Nevada. A bunch of those guys went to San Jose State. Our talent has dissipated. We went to the transfer portal and did the best job we could, but we weren't in that same time frame. We weren't in that same scenario. Our coach kind of got fired or whatever. He decided to leave late in this process, which really affected this program because there is 16 out of 22 seniors starting for us that normally wouldn't be starting. And therefore, we're going to have to rebuild next year and start with a whole new foundation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, the process continues here for the University of Hawaii football team, who again, now two and eight on the season, one and four in the Mountain West Conference. Let's talk offensively in this Fresno State game for the Bows. Uh, Braden Shager, quarterback, goes 20 of 40 for 204 yards passing, a touchdown, an interception, sacked twice as the second straight game that Braden Shager has over 40 pass attempts in an outing. Uh, the leading rusher for the team, Tylen Hines, 11 carries, 79 yards, a long of 13, but an average of 7.2. Uh, Shager, for the first time, really, we've seen him use his legs. Uh, eight carries for 49 yards, um, a long of 24, which was very welcomed, I'm sure, to a lot of University of Hawaii football fans who felt throughout the season that some of the sacks he took, there was open space and would have liked to see him try and pursue uh, just picking up a few yards at a time. He was able to do that against Fresno State. Uh, Tylen Hines, the, the aforementioned running back, who was the team's leading rusher, also the team's leading receiver, four catches for 48 yards. Uh, Rich, when you look at offensively what happened with this UH football team, I think the biggest stat when you look at why the Rainbow Warriors struggled in this game and they struggled mightily against this Fresno State team is that when you look at the team statistic of third and fourth downs, the University of Hawaii on offense goes six of 15 on third down, one of four on fourth down, so they finish we're going seven of 19 on third and fourth downs. Uh, that's a game changer when you are a team that needs to put these long sustained drives together. This isn't a team that's a quick strike offense that's going to answer back immediately. You need to eat clock. It's why Timmy Chang talked about over the, the previous weeks of, hey, this is going to be a seven possession game. This is going to be a, a blank possession game. And it's because they need that clock to expire when you are not able to keep the chains going on third and fourth down. Uh, it's a death sentence, isn't it? Yeah, and it'd be different again. We can continue to talk about if Nick Martin was out there or even if Jonah Panoki was out there. So you got some injuries to wide receiver, right? So you're struggling offensively to get separation. And uh, to me, this this offensive identity um, is somewhere in Atlanta, maybe in the same safe that the Coca-Cola formula is at, because I haven't figured it out yet, and I don't think people know what this offense is all about. But I'm going to go with the Tylen Hines thing, Rob. I'm going to take off on that thing, because when you look at both opponents, uh, whether it's DQ last week for Wyoming or it was Jordan Mims this week, those guys are getting 20 touches. They're getting 150 yards, 160 yards. Tylen almost averages a first down every time he touches the football. But then when you come to the end of the game and you go like, he only had 10 carries? Well, 11 this week. He only had like 10 last week. Why aren't we feeding this young phenom the ball more? And I'm a Diedrich Parsons fan. I think he's the ultimate captain. I think he does a lot for this football team. You don't want to not feed him the ball. But, man, you talk about little dog needing uh, getting some carries. Tylen Hines. That's why on third down, it's third and long. That's why on, on, on fourth down, you're in fourth down situations because you're not giving Tylen Hines the ball enough. 
And that's the biggest mystery to me. And I'm not a big time, you know, like run the ball 70 times a game, whatever else. But that's the best thing that this offense does because Shager is mystifying because he'll make five or six, seven throws where there's not a lot of guys in this conference that can make some of the throws he makes. And then he'll miss and he'll go on spurts. But there's no rhythm to this offense. And the rhythm starts with Tylen Hines. Yeah, RJ, I want to get your thoughts on Tylen Hines because that was something that, that we were going to bring up here in this episode of this freshman running back and his importance to this team moving forward. I mean, not only for the remainder of this season or within games, but Tylen Hines, how much of a focal point and focus will he be that no matter what happens here moving forward, that moving forward, the offense needs to run through number 24? Uh, it'll be huge. And more than running through 24, you got to run behind 75, 77, 71 and company. That offensive line came in leading the Mountain West in returning starts. And they have played up to that, you know, that potential. Braden Shager had a lot of clean pockets. Tylen Hines has a lot of good runs because there are a lot of holes that only he can hit. I will give him that. But at the same time, this is an offensive line that's been playing up to par. And when you got a talent like Tylen Hines, you got to feed him. You got to give him the ball more. One, so that he can make more runs and get you more offensive production. But two, so that he's less likely to not end up a junior or senior in a University of Hawaii football uniform, which needs to be goal number one for Timmy Chang and company. Make sure that this kid finishes his college eligibility at the University of Hawaii. We've seen a lot of young talent, including a running back like Day-Day Hunter. In fact, I want to say even before Day-Day Hunter, the last three or four starting running backs were transferring out of the University of Hawaii on the elsewhere. Tylen Hines does not need to be that guy. Three times this year, he's had 70 yards or more rushing. He's seven and a half every time he touches the ball running. So seven and a half yards, excuse me, let me get more statistical for all my people that need to hear it. Seven and a half yards every time he touches the ball. So making sure Tylen Hines becomes a junior and taking more of advantage of having a left tackle like Elm Manning that has 57 starts of experience. If the passing game can't catch up at this point, it is too little too late to be trying to make anything new now. So let the electric guy get the ball, turn him into static shock, and let's see how much juice we can get out of 24. And if Dedrick Parson can't come back or if he's injured you know he can't come play the next game then we know we have a valuable running back too but the number one goal for Tylen Hines which was really going to be my point when you did bring it up this kid has to become a junior and a senior wearing the University of Hawaii football uniform yeah and you bring up the running backs transferring in the past as Fred Hawley and Miles Reed were the previous starters that left uh, before their eligibility was up. And then, of course, Day-Day Hunter. And then uh, we'll see what happens here moving forward. But Tylen Hines, definitely a fan favorite here at the University of Hawaii. And to Rich's uh, point, um, one player that probably should be getting the ball a little bit more than he does here moving forward. And so that's kind of uh, leading us to, to what I want to ask next as far as when you look at this Rainbow Warrior football team and, and what's left. There's three games left on the season. Two of them are at home. The final two-game homestand here, it starts up on Saturday against Utah State. Then you take on UNLV, and then you go on the road against San Jose State. Winning season, unattainable. Conference championship, unattainable bowl game unattainable so 
what is the perspective of this Rainbow Warrior football team? What is the approach here for the final three games of this season? How does the University of Hawaii not only attempt to finish strong this season, because obviously they're trying to finish strong this season. They're trying to get some wins. There are seniors on this team that aren't going to be able to play any more football. And so they're going to be playing their hearts out. And so there's no question that these guys aren't trying to win football games. But with that being said, when it's the final three games of the year and none of these goals are attainable, does anything else come to the forefront, Rich, as a coach, as uh, a head coach, as a coordinator, in, in regards to what you are trying to accomplish in these final three games? Are you trying to get experience for younger players that will be back? Are you trying to try new things? Are you, What becomes the focus when there's three games left and all that you have to play for is pride and just trying to get some wins? What happens here? Yeah, you mentioned it last week, Rob, and the scenario is a little different now that you have nothing to play for in besides pride, which is a lot besides your name on the jersey in the back, which is a lot, besides Hawaii in the front, which is a lot. But that being said, right, you want to continue to work on fundamentals, right? Because you you get you don't, you only have so many practices in the way things are nowadays. You got to make sure you, you use those practices wisely. But that being said, you got to make some tough decisions. Timmy Chang is going to have to go through every single person on that roster. And in the old days, you know, nobody used to get relieved of their scholarships uh, on a yearly basis, but you could be because that was still a rule. But nowadays it's a it's a harsher, harsher world with the transfer portal. Guys are going to leave you. You need to leave them. So what I'm getting at is if you have five quarterbacks and you know two or three of them can't play, you got to say goodbye. You got to say aloha because you need those scholarships. This is going to be the biggest overhaul in Hawaii history in terms of all these seniors are going to be on the senior walk that are going to move on into their lives. We got to get new players. We got to get real players. We got to go to the transfer portal. We got to go JC. We got to get good high school players. But we need to get find out who can play and who cannot. And no hard feelings to the ones that cannot. But whether they stay on scholarship, whether they continue their education, all the wonderful things, you know, you want to treat them with as much respect as possible. But you got to make tough decisions moving forward because this football team needs to not only develop talent, they got to develop depth and they've got to do some things that I, I don't think any other program in the country is going to deal with with 16 out of 22 starters with what was depleted this past year. And you know what? There's some tough decisions to be made, and this is going to be a long offseason, but hopefully a, a fruitful, productive one. RJ, your thoughts on, on this, these final three games? And obviously, Rich focused on even beyond these three games and what needs to happen here in this program. But if I were to ask you to just keep it within the senior walk, right, from this moment until the seniors uh, get uh, lay put on them from neck to eyeballs, what is the focus for this University of Hawaii football team? What is the main objective outside of obviously getting a win? Um, I, I think, you know, Rich really alluded to it, and a lot of coaches allude to it, the name on the back of your jersey. You know, if you're a senior now, that means you're going to graduate. You might have one year of eligibility left, but for the rest of your life, you were a University of Hawaii football player. And when you have kids or you talk to your family or you talk to your coworkers and they come back and they look up that team because it's always on the Internet, it's always cataloged even before the Internet, when they talk about the 2022 University of Hawaii football team, what are they going to say? Because make no mistake about it, 5-8 and eight gives a way different outlook than 2-11. and 11. So that is still in your hands as to 
what is this ending narrative going to be? In the my senior year, when we went to a bowl game, when we actually won the bowl game, we were four and seven at one point. So you talk about a winning season being unattainable. It was. We couldn't have won the winning. We broke even. You talk about going to the Mountain West Championship, that being unattainable. It was. But there was a conclusive decision that we was not going out like no suckers. At the end of the day, we were going to make sure that we did everything we could to have as many wins for the University of Hawaii football team because we were on three consecutive losing teams. We saw players like Chris Gant. We saw players like Ben Clark, Cody Afusia, Joey Eosefa, Sean Schroeder leave this university with no legacy proper to the player that they were. So if you're a senior now, if you're ill Manning with them 57 starts, if you're Panay Pavihi that's been around since Jelani Tavai, what do you want the end of your run to look like? And be real, because at the end of the day, you think five and eight is not something that you'll pat yourself on the back, but go to an 11 and see how much less you want to pat yourself on the back. Ah, very, very solid point there and, and, and very solid emotion out of our guy, RJ Hollis. All right, guys, let's go to the Bose football final mailbox. Uh, let's uh, start off with Ken from Halava, who's asking Rich Miano philosophy. It is philosophy wise, coaching, scheming, the philosophy behind the three man defensive line pass rush for the University of Hawaii. Um, would you look at how they've done this and and have an idea of, hey, maybe this wasn't the way to go or is there, there's the reason why? This is the way it is. Uh, Philosophy-wise, why a three-man defensive line pass rush? Yeah, and, you know, you got to, like, look at the statistics, how often that happens, what's down the distance, because you're talking about bringing in Ezra Ivaimalo. You're talking about Anthony Sagopolutelli. You're talking about Fa'oish. You're talking about guys that are a little bit more athletic trying to rush the passer, right? But normally when you see a three-man uh, odd, what they call an odd front, you're bringing a fourth guy. It may be Jonah Kahavai Welch, who's standing up in a two-point stance. It could be uh, uh, could be somebody like Pane Pavihi. So a lot of times you get into a four-man rush, and that's just kind of an allusion to the offensive line, to which way they're going to slide and all these other uh, kind of analytics, right? But what you're doing also in that scenario, if it is long yardage, is you're dropping eight guys. And if you're showing blitz, and I think they need to show some and come out of it, show pressure, and I think they do this, and then you drop in eight guys, a lot of times you're eight, or eight on four. So you're keeping things in front of you. You tackle the guy, you get off the field. There's all kinds of reasons to go. And if you look at the National Football League where there's 32 teams, about 29 of them specialize in an odd front. And you'll see a nose tackle on a lot of plays, which is a three-man front, right? So it's not like the University of Hawaii is doing something nobody else is in America. Again, they can't manufacture a pass rush with four guys. So sometimes you want to drop extra guys, hoping that you can get off the field that way. So I'm not, again, I think Jake Euro said it best the first game when he tried to do some exotic blitzing and he tried to do some stuff. And, um, you know, you got to be careful about how often you run zero blitzes, how often you uh, man pressure, how often you zone dog pressure. So I'm not going to criticize the coaching staff, but I'm sure they feel like, there's some calls that they could have made better as well, but everybody in America does a three-man rush at times. Yeah, and, and then it also becomes the question of like, okay, if you put four defensive linemen on the football field, does that make my team better than removing the nickel or removing an extra defensive back? Exactly. Who, who's the better football player, that fourth defensive lineman 
or Malik Hausman being exactly. on the football field for this team, right? And so uh, obviously there, there's a lot of uh, different scenarios that could play out within the philosophy of a defensive scheme. But to answer your question uh, from Rich Miano, that is why uh, you see the three-man pass rush here for the University of Hawaii football team from the defensive line. All right, Aloha Made asking, uh, I'm going to go to RJ first. Uh, Rich, I'm going to give you an opportunity, but you've kind of already talked about this, but this will kind of specify it a little bit. Aloha Made is asking, what will the recruiting philosophy be for next season? Portal or high school focused? Which one do you think that the University of Hawaii will attack the hardest? RJ? Uh, I'm a... Uh... 100% goal with transfer portal. Um, you need to win now. You need to turn it around as fast as humanly possible. And you got to bring in guys that can contribute right now. Uh, not only that, I think the one advantage Timmy Chang will have if he could turn the University of Hawaii into a winning program is that he'll have a upper leg when it comes to going for some of the bigger recruits, you know, four-star guys that UH wouldn't even look at right now. So I think the portal is going to have to be what they got to go. They got to get some guys that could come in right now and help right now. Uh, Rich Miano, like I yeah. said, you kind of talked about this yeah. a little bit, um, but, but, you know, the, the question is portal or high school, but I think um, for me personally, I think junior college is going to be a, yeah. a heavy, heavy look. Uh, Rich, what do you think? You're correct, Rob, and, and RJ is correct as well. You know, you got to go big in the transfer portal, and uh, they, they'll they'll find some athletes, and they need athletes as bad as anybody does. But uh, junior college is going to be huge for this. And junior college now, because of the transfer portal and because of foundational success in the big programs, that's where you can get some guys. And you got to literally look at the junior college. There's not only through California, but through Kansas, Oklahoma, and some other areas too, because there is some players in the junior college ranks that Hawaii is going to have to get on. But, yeah, make no mistake about it. The transfer portal has to be huge as well. And then you still got to get foundational guys, you know, here locally and there on the mainland. And speed is going to be key for this program to ever get back to where it once was or where it wants to go. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. Aloha, Maiden. As always, the Bose football final mailbox uh, can be reached uh, via Twitter at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, Instagram at Rob DeMello, Facebook Rob DeMello, or you can email me rdemello at khon2.com. And we will try to get to as many questions here over the course of the season as possible. Uh, this one comes from Nolan. Uh, we'll start with you, RJ. What is the number one reason to believe that UH can turn this around next season. So uh, you can give us more than one reason, but Nolan wants to know specifically, what is the number one reason that makes you think that this team that is going through a rebuilding process right now, that is struggling, that has just two victories through their first 10 games of the year, what's the number one reason that makes you think that this can be turned around? Um. Because you got a starter in Sergio Mulesa who's coming back next year on the O-line. Braden Shaker's coming back next year. Tylen Hines is coming back next year. Peter Manuma, who has been making play after play after play these past couple weeks, he's coming back next year. Mekhi Payton's coming back next year. So you have guys that can attribute, that are already showing signs of what they can do. Imagine them bigger, faster, and stronger because that's what you should be getting every single offseason. A bigger, faster, stronger Braden Shaker. A bigger, faster, stronger Tylen Hines. A bigger, faster, stronger Sergio Muasau. So I think right now that would be the biggest reason to believe that there will be success next year is because there are small glimpses of it that are already playing, and if they come back next year, they should be able to contribute even more. 
All right, Rich Miano, uh, I have a feeling I know where you're going with this because we've kind of heard you touch up on this a little bit of just the importance of the leadership that's in place right now for the University of Hawaii football team with head coach Timmy Chang, with how many alumni that, that have been through this program and seen this program go from losing program to winning program. Um, don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, I imagine that that would give you confidence that this could be turned around. Yeah, I, I like what RJ said in terms of those guys building a, somewhat of a foundation. You, obviously, you need more, right? But it's going to take passion. It's going to take work ethic like these guys. I'm talking Nate Lau. I'm talking Jeff Reinbold. I'm talking Chris Brown, Abraham Elamemiam, anybody, uh, Keiki Mesapeka in Samoa. You're going to have to recruit like you've never recruited before. You're going to have to offer, and it's rightfully so, it's not – you know, starting positions potentially to a whole bunch of players because there's that many openings. You're going to have to really do the, the best job that maybe this University of Hawaii has ever had in recruiting, in accumulating a, a talent. Because make no mistake about it, if you just stopped the season today and you said, here's what we got coming back next year, and it was a preseason Mountain West Conference polls, you'd be last. Nevada would be right there with you probably, but you'd be last. So there's so much work to be done, but the only reason I have faith that it can be done is because you got some guys that bleed green. And I've mentioned this before. It means something to Timmy Chang. I can see it. He's, you know, in his eyes. I can see Chris Brown. I can see Abraham. I can see Keiki. I can see Nate Alawa, Jeff Reinbold. Those guys, they don't want to be part of a losing organization or a losing uh, program because they bleed green. So that's my only hope is that, they go out and surround those guys that RJ mentioned with a whole bunch of talent because the state deserves better. You know, how much of what is being experienced right now with the University of Hawaii football program is a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. When you look at last season, the frustrations, right, and the unhappiness within the program, both, uh, you know, beyond the program and within the locker room, and it led to the mass exodus of football players right and so that's what i mean by a self-fulfilling prophecy as far as the that unhappiness created team leaving and therefore you are in the situation you're in then you add to that in recruiting where you know everyone views that hey if you just keep some of the best local talent home then this is a better program well the local talent isn't coming to the university of hawaii right now because you are getting smacked around in the facilities battle you are in not in a real division one stadium i mean there are so many you know, nil deals can't keep up with some of the other places scholarship uh payments can't keep up with some of the other places and so therefore that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy as well right where if the local talent came home then maybe you get more sponsorships within the local company saying like, hey, I want to be a part of this too if these guys are a part of it, but the kids aren't coming because the local sponsorships and the local companies aren't a part of the University of Hawaii football program right now. And so it kind of just goes in this circle. And so at what point does one of those things need to change in order for all of the things to change? You know what I'm saying? Like what, what's the most important aspect right now as far as beyond the recruiting, like beyond just identifying the talent, but how do you create these opportunities? How do you make yourself more attractive given your situation, Rich? How, how does that happen? Well, I, you know, I'm going to go off again on a tangent. And, you know, me, there's complicity in all of this. And when I talk about complicity, it's who hired Todd Graham. Then the second part of that is 
David Ige in terms of allowing this stadium to not only be condemned, but with no really plans to build another one. Because when you're recruiting freshmen or junior college or transfer portal guys, you might not even be able to show them an artist's rendering of the stadium because that's probably not even complete anymore because they keep changing their plans. Now we're talking 2027 potentially, and that could go on to hundreds of millions of dollars in cost overruns because things aren't getting cheaper. And this is, and we as fans and maybe even as corporations and NIL and everything, we, we're all complicit in this program and we all have to take responsibility. How is this ever going to be a D1 program where we can all be proud of if we all are not in it together. And so the people that have, you know, there's obviously some, like I mentioned, some large components to this, but man, like Marilyn Moniz Kahawano told me, and I think it was nine, it was 2000, 1999. Do we really want to be a D1 program? If we do, we need to act like one. And to me, we don't act like a D1 program. I'm sorry. I couldn't agree with you more. RJ Hollis. Uh, yeah. And, you know, basically everything that Rich said. And for me, you know, being somebody that recently played, I think the lack of tradition, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that could be easily created to create some sort of attraction for recruiting players. There's been three different hakas or ha'as since I've been affiliated with this program, which has only been nine years, five head coaches, who knows how many offensive coordinators? Who knows how many defensive coordinators? Stadium gets shut down. There's no uh, Greek life. There's nothing that really you have, not like Rich said, not even an artist rendering of a stadium, but that's in the big money scheme of it. To me, just having a consistent hawker, having, you know, alumni coming back down and talking to the players on the regular, having the university reaching out to alumni just to have some sort of connection and kind of, keep a familiarity going where guys seeing guys that have been in their shoes before, you know, even Tom Matoa spoke about it in his uh, press conference saying he appreciated that Timmy chain could say, I've been in your shoes in 2016. We appreciated Nick Rolovich saying he could be in our shoes. So I think just creating some type of tradition, some sort of familiarity and keeping it around. I, I think that's where you got to try and start before you go looking for 50 million and hundred million dollar checks that nobody's willing to give at this point. Hey, hey, Rob, one last thing, too, is do you notice when they came back from the commercial break, it was black, and they showed everybody with their lighters on or their phones on, since cameras now, right, camera phones on, yep. and they were singing the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing. That's a 96% full stadium. Everybody with their playing against a team that's 2-7, and seven, University of Hawaii, and they're, and they're singing the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing. That's tradition. That's entertainment. That's things that we, I mean, we're, we're a state school. We're the only school in this state. We're the only D1 program. We don't have professional sports. We need to get in touch with reality to be a D1 program. And RJ said it. You said it. Culture, traditions, uh, passion. Why do so many people support Kahuku football? <laughs> One is because they win, but two is because they got tradition and they got culture. Well, we'll see what happens here. These are all things that we've been talking about for quite some time. Things that have been identified by the University of Hawaii football program. And now it's just a matter to see if any of these things can change moving forward. But as Rich and RJ alluded to, it's much more than, than just those things. But those are important pieces to the puzzle of trying to build something that people want to be a part of. And at the end of the day, that is the number one priority is that how do you make 
something that is very unattractive right now attractive to people wanting to be a part of and wanting to be able to inflict change within a once proud program we'll see what happens on saturday when the university of hawaii football team returns to face off against utah state at the clarence tc ching athletics complex kickoff is set for 6 p.m which means that the spectrum sports pay-per-view broadcast will have its pregame show starting at 5 15. we'll be back here on monday on both football final win loser draw as we always are to talk about what happened here with the Rainbow Warriors uh, in that game and moving forward, of course. For RJ Hollis, for Rich Miano, I'm Rob DeMello. Much mahalo to everybody for joining us on Bo's Football Final this every Monday at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next week. Aloha.